Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Week 1 Running Back Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's breaking down all things at the running back ahead of Week 1. Great day to be great, some might say. Want to run through the handcuff index here. Just quickly kind of group these teams into what we could expect from the backups. I think it'll be a nice little weekly practice to help find us some value eventually. Best and worst matchups of the week, you know, looking at yards before contact combined from the offense and defensive line. Streamer of the week, injuries to monitor, all that and much more before we get to the week one fantasy football rank. So thanks as always for tuning in and let's get after it, everybody. So again, with the handcuff index, I've divided the league into basically three different tiers. The first one is where the backup running back would really have something pretty close to a true fantasy friendly three down roll should their team starter be forced out of action. So I'm not going to dive into the whys and hows on this. We've talked about it throughout the off season in the future, you know, any actual changes to this, I'll certainly highlight it more. So running backs, backup running backs that I do think are truly one injury away from having that near every down roll. Michael Carter on the Jets. Okay, if he's a starter, then the same thing applies to Brees Hall. Whichever way you cut it, it looks like a two running back system where if one guy goes down, the other one's about to take the hell over. Ramondre Stevenson with the Patriots, not having to worry about the pass catchers at the moment with the Cleveland Browns. If Nick Chubb got hurt, I really do think Kareem Hunt would have a larger role than if Hunt got work, you know, look, if Hunt got hurt compared to Chubb. So we saw it last year. Chubb had 17 and a half carries and t- targets per game with Kareem Hunt, 17.6 without because they used Dearness Johnson on pass downs. I'm not convinced they would make that same move if uh, Nick Chubb got hurt. Indianapolis Colts, based on the preseason usage, Naeem Hines really has a chance to be a flex with benefits. Maybe not going to get 300 carries if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt. I think an Austin Eckler type role is on the table, though. Jonathan Williams, Melvin Gordon, another two back committee that I think would turn over completely to one guy should either of them get injured. Tony Pollard with the Cowboys, A.J. Dillon with the Packers, Alexander Madison with the Vikings, Khalil Herbert with the Bears, Jamal Williams with the Lions, and Daryl Henderson with the Rams. All pretty self-explanatory, almost every single example. Only one that isn't um, that we haven't seen this play out, you know, exactly what we're talking about here was Jamal Williams with the Lions last year. He was still getting 20, 18, and 19 touches in his three games without without DeAndre Swift. I'm confident his snaps would have been higher had he been healthier himself. Now, these next teams, I think they give their backup running backs a nice boost if the starter missed times, but we'd still be looking at a sort of committee with the Bills, Zach Moss, and James Cook, likely if Devin Singletary misses time. With the Dolphins, I have a hard time believing Raheem Moster would truly take over without Chase Edmonds, but you never know if the man's healthy. With the Bengals, Samaje Pirine, Chris Evans would likely be a committee behind Joe Mixon. Titans, Dontrell Hilliard, you could argue he's just a way cheaper version of Naeem Hines, who's a cheaper version of Tony Pollard. Either way, you know, good, not great role if Derrick Henry leaves the picture. Raiders, I do think Samir White is the handcuff to have next to Josh Jacobs, but I'd still think Amir Abdullah would stay involved. With the Eagles, I know we want Kenneth Gamble to happen. When Sanders has gotten hurt over the years, Boston Scott takes early down work. I would expect that to keep happening. With the Giants, don't expect, you know, Matt Breida to completely take over. Same thing at Washington with J.D. McKissick, although we are seeing in Washington, you take one of Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson away, the other guy is going to flourish. Buccaneers, Rashad White, best theoretical three-down ability. He is the handcuff to have here. I'm still not completely convinced if Fournette left the picture that Rashad White would completely take over. With the Saints, 33-year-old Mark Ingram, they did kind of feature him out of the gate last year when they got him to help uh, deal with an injured Alvin Kamara. Really have a tough time believing, though, you know, for an eight-week stretch or something that Ingram will be getting 20 touches a game. Panthers, Chuba Hubbard, and Deontay Foreman if CMC goes down. 49ers, this is a big potential uh, waiver ad, guys. Jeff Wilson, everything in the preseason total season number two back. Trey Sermon's out of the picture now. 
I get it. Mitchell's a starter. Also, has already been dealing with a hamstring injury, and we really didn't see Mitchell much last year when a lot of these other running backs were healthy. So I think Wilson has an underrated chance of maybe getting 10 to 12 touches in week one, emerging as the clear-cut RB2 in San Francisco, being on the cover of every week two waiver wire article. And finally, with the Seahawks, yes, you know, looks like Kenneth Walker could be out week one with his hernia. Maybe he's, you know, going to play. Maybe he's going to be out till December. We never know what freaking Pete Carroll with that said an injury to either guy is obviously going to boost the other one up. Just realize this is not just a two-back committee in Seattle. We're not looking at a Javante Melvin situation here. This is unfortunately always going to be three or even four backs thanks to Travis Homer and DJ Dallas working in on passing down. So finally, handful of teams. You know, we got unproven backups, history of committees. I don't think these handcuffs are all that valuable. <sighs> this one's tough. Steelers, I get it. I see the Jalen Warren hype. I don't think he's a bad ad at the very bottom of the bench, but man, this is still an undrafted rookie. We've seen them give Benny Snow the ball a lot. I understand the Steelers' history. I still think that uh, Jalen Warren might not be exactly walking face first into Najee Harris's role if he goes down. Call me a hater. I'm just not convinced that an undrafted rookie is going to completely take over in the absence of Najee. This still seems like a team that I wouldn't be surprised, you know, goes out and signs so it's a veteran free agent uh, should Najee actually go down. Similar sentiment with the Ravens. We already saw them bring in Kenyon Drake a few weeks ago. Like if Mike Davis goes down, do we really think Kenyon Drake's going to completely take over? They bring back Devontae Freeman. I think it's just always going to be a handful of running backs there with the Texans. Like, yeah, we love Damian Pierce behind him. I don't really see anybody getting a full feature workload with the Jaguars. This is just tough to tell right now with James Robinson's health. Normally he would be a three down running back should ETN go down or vice versa. But right now it's just so dependent on how ready James Robinson is. Apparently we'll be out there in week one. Just a situation where to what capacity we don't know. With the Chiefs, if something happens to Claude Edwards Alaire, you know, with all due respect to all the Isaiah Pacheco stands out there, I do think Ronald Jones, Pacheco, and Jarek McKinnon would form a three back committee. With the Chargers, Isaiah Spiller banged up with the ankle. They brought in Sony Michelle. I think the answer to which Chargers running back to roster behind Austin Eckler is no. Atlanta Falcons. Looks like Cordero Patterson is the guy. Beyond that, who the hell knows? Damian Williams, Tyler Algier could be going different every single week. And once again, seems like another team where if something happened to Cordero Patterson, I wouldn't be surprised if they just had to dip their uh, dip their toes into the actual free agent RB market. And finally, with the Arizona Cardinals, I think you know similar to Pittsburgh, like there's certainly a chance one of these guys could emerge as the clear every down handcuff behind the starter. I'm not ruling it out, but everyone's just so unproven. You know, Benjamin, I know there's still somehow stands out there, but he has not done anything in the last two years. And even when Chase Evans was hurt last year, they didn't feel good enough about him to actually boost his workload. They just gave all to James Conner, Keontae Ingram, day three pick, Daryl Williams on the vet men. I just... Even though we have seen Cliff Kingsbury utilize a feature back really throughout his entire tenure in Arizona, I'm not convinced with Eno, Daryl Benjamin, or Keontae Ingram that any one of them will completely take over in the absence of James Robinson. So that's the handcuff index ahead of week one. You can catch this article on pff.com and with the app PFF Plus is a nice little subscription you can get yourself free until the start of the season. So make sure you check that out. Went ahead, I took every offensive line's Yards before contact per carry last season and basically took the sum of that and the defenses that they're facing yards before contact allowed. So just a, you know, I think a more pure way of kind of comparing the exact same matchup thing we always do in our head. Like, all right, this is the fifth best offensive line versus the 28th best defensive line. I just combined those metrics to try to actually show, uh, you know, I think an objectively better measure of that mismatch that, again, we usually talk about. We're getting, you know, instead of two numbers down to one, 
Here are the top five offenses expected to dominate the line of scrimmage. Number one, the Baltimore Ravens. Last year, only the Eagles averaged more yards before contact per carry than the Ravens. It's the Lamar Jackson effect. I mean, it's why it's I love Gus Edwards. It's not Gus Edwards slander. It's why Gus can average five yards per carry basically every single year. Dobbins even got to six. Great running backs in their own right. But when, you know, quarterbacks just really force those defensive ends into that conflict with the read option game, you get those wider rushing lanes. Now, whether or not, you know, Mike Davis jk dobbins whether they're gonna have the volume to take advantage of this against the jets remains to be seen with the colts we got quentin nelson jonathan taylor going up against the texans jonathan taylor four career matchups against the texans he's at 91 yards 83 yards and a touchdown and most recently 145 yards and two scores and 143 yards and two scores Certainly not going to be surprised if Jonathan Taylor balls the hell out in week one. Kansas City Chiefs set up actually very well against the Cardinals defensive line that is forced to deal with life without Chandler Jones. The Titans are set up rather brilliantly against the Giants. Last year, only the Steelers were worse than the Giants in terms of yards before contact allowed for carry. And the Arizona Cardinals looking really good against the Chiefs defense. That was one of just eight units to allow more than a yard and a half before contact per carry last year. On the other side of things, these are the five offenses not looking good. They could have some struggles actually, you know, getting any sort of just yardage under their belts before meeting first contact. The Chicago Bears, nobody was better than the 49ers, Nick Bosa and company in limiting yards before contact per carry last season. It's going to be a tough one for the Bears, and maybe we're all writing them off a little too much. It is a road game, you know, the NFL parody, trap games, all this. I'm not saying the Bears have no chance this week. I do really struggle to see how this offense is going to have much success moving the ball, mostly because I just think the 49ers are going to beat the absolute piss out of them at the line of scrimmage. New York Jets also not in a good spot. Bottom 10 offense in yards before contact per carry faces off a reigning top two defense in the Baltimore Ravens who are looking healthier than ever at this point. Maybe not than ever, but at least more than last year. And that's not a very high bar. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, one of just five offenses last year to average less than one yard before contact per carry. Don't worry, though. Najee Harris gets his volume. He's an every week starter. With the Atlanta Falcons, going to be a tough matchup against that, you know, ever great Saints front seven. But we did see Cordero Patterson overcome that just fine last year with some of those great catches he had. Remember that one down the sideline to ice that game? Oh, buddy, I do. And finally, the Houston Texans. Yes, Damian Pierce is starting. That's awesome. Also, this is the reigning league worst offense in yards before contact per carry. So he's going to really need to be special to overcome this sort of piss poor offensive environment, especially if they're still going to be throwing the ball more so to Rex Burkhead, Dario Gubawale than Damian. Speaking of Damian, how can he not be the major riser of the preseason? Just keep in mind that he is looking at selective company here. So since 2010, we've only had actually five, I'm sorry, over the last 10 years. So since, you know, 2012, excuse me, only five rookie running backs who were not drafted inside the top three rounds that went on to produce a top 24 fantasy football finish. So Alfred Morris did it. Zach Stacy did it. Jordan Howard did it. Philip Lindsay did it. And even James Robinson did it. I am projecting Damian Pierce to do it. He was my season long PPR RB 23 going into the year. Just, you know, the hype for him has been moving from an RB4 and RB5 into like a low-end RB2. Don't get too carried away. That's all I'm saying. Major faller has to be Brian Robinson, you know, off crutches, seemingly recovering great from the gunshot wound, which is fantastic. Still on the pup list, and he's someone that a couple weeks ago we thought was going to be starting. So just based on the last few weeks, he has been a faller matchup i'm really looking to take advantage of this week could be javante williams and melvin gordon against the seattle seahawks i mean last year the jets were the only defense worse than seattle in terms of just allowing ppr points per game to opposing running backs and this is actually the reigning 32nd ranked defense in terms of receptions and receiving yards allowed to the position 
then you take Bobby Wagner away. Like I'm not saying 2021 Bobby Wags was, you know, prime version or anything like that. But I just think in this matchup, man, Javante and Melvin, if we're giving both of them 15 to 20 combined carries and targets, I would not be surprised if both guys wind up being able to put in top 24, if not top 15, top 12 finishes. The matchup I'm being cautious of, not a full fade, but Ezekiel Elliott versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I just think this is going to be one of those games where Zeke is going to have to battle a combination of brutal inefficiency and less volume than normal. Like this is a week where I think Zeke is going to be much closer, if not even behind guys like Josh Jacobs, like Antonio Gibson, Dave Montgomery. At a minimum, he is going to be in that tier. So just keeping in mind, you know, with Zeke, this matchup last year, Dak threw the ball 58 times. Zeke is incredible. He's incredible in pass protection. I think that's probably what they're going to use him for against the Buccaneers front seven that isn't guaranteed to be quite as good again. But, you know, we talked about havoc in our defensive uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, and this consistently under Todd Bowles has been just one of, if not the very best defense at just wreaking havoc at the line of scrimmage again and again and again. Kellen Moore knows this. Only 11 carries for Zeke in this matchup last year. Maybe he falls into the end zone once or twice. Again, it's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think, guys, as I look at the week one ranks, not week two, not week three, I just have a tough time being overly high on Zeke. So not an auto, not an auto fade, but he is my RB23 of the week. I would start guys like Claude Bersolaire, Chase Edmonds, Elijah Mitchell, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, even Antonio Gibson ahead of Zeke this week. The streamer of the week. I get it. Might not need a streamer. It's week one. Hopefully you're able to draft actual starters in your league, but it is going to be Mike Davis, JK Dobbins with the ACL. His status hinges on how he practices this week per coach, John Harbaugh, backup running back Gus Edwards will miss at least the first four weeks of the year. I know Kenyon Drake's there. He's only been there for a few weeks. It's not exactly great that he keeps bouncing around these teams. I think Mike Davis, who don't look now, he was the overall, not per game. I'm cheating a little bit. He was the overall RB 12 all the way back in, 2020. So this is an offense implied to score 25.75 points. Mike Davis is looking at 15 to 20 carries. I like his chances of falling to the end zone once or twice more in Baltimore than I did in Atlanta. If you don't have to start Mike Davis, fantastic. If something happens later in the week and you just suddenly need a starter, look to Mike Davis. It's going to be tough to find anyone on the waiver wire projected for more total volume. Streamer of next week broke this down already, but I do think it's going to be Jeff Wilson has a chance to, you know, jump up into the Daryl Henderson, the Michael Carter range of things. If the 49ers use a committee or if we just get pure establishment like that, we now know he is the San Francisco RB2. We know how, you know, fickle Kyle Shanahan can be with this running back rotation and committee over the years. I think Jeff Wilson has a chance to boom up the ranks once we get confirmation of basically what we were already seeing in the preseason. Handful of running back injuries to monitor. We got Brian Robinson on the pup list. So expect Antonio Gibson to lead the way while JD McKissick continues to work in obvious pass first situations. Could also see Jonathan Williams get some early down work, but I do think Gibson is going to have a chance here to flirt with an upper range of outcomes. Mentioned J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. We'll see if Dobbins is able to play. But yes, Mike Davis shaping up as a potential starter. Worst case, the 1B option behind Dobbins. So I expect they're going to ease back into option to some extent. I am not looking to play J.K. Dobbins this week. Even if he is active, I have him as my RB38 behind guys like Michael Carter, Brees Hall, Tony Pollard, Devin Singletary, Melvin Gordon, and more. Just not confident the Ravens are going to put much on his plate this early in the season when they literally still don't know in week one if he's healthy enough to get out there. James Robinson will be active this week, but once again, I, I'm seeing it. I need to see it to truly believe it. I'm not sure if he's active for five carries or if he's going to be active and have 20. So 
If you have James Robinson, definitely don't cut him. It's great that he is back and active and he's going to be there. He's still coming off the Achilles. I really think Travis Etienne in week one is going to be the blow-up candidate. So James Robinson, my RB54 this week. I'm not looking to play him. Etienne, my RB16. I would play Etienne ahead of guys like Antonio Gibson, Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Elijah Mitchell, Chase Edmonds, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Isaiah Spiller dealing with the ankle injury. Chance he plays. Either way, you know we don't have any semblance of standalone value behind Austin Eckler at the moment. Miles Sanders practicing with the hamstring injury. Got another nice you know, note from his offensive coordinator, reestablishing that he's the guy. I do think in this sort of matchup, four-point favorites over the Lions, Miles Sanders, we've seen him bust along touchdowns before. Playing on turf, I feel like these guys are just a little bit faster out there. You guys know how it is. And even if we are getting Kenneth Gamewell on some passing downs, Sanders is someone where, my God, is anyone more due for a touchdown? No. No one is more due for a touchdown. And I just think Sanders, if they get a nice little lead, we could look up, you know, and be a little surprised. Like, oh man, he got 25 touches in week one. Who would have thought? So I have Miles Sanders, RB19 this week. Happy to be ahead of consensus on that. Both Rams running backs, Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, are good to go with those soft tissue injuries not even listed on the injury report. So, yeah, we'll see how the exact breakdown happens. I'm anticipating something like a 60-40 split in favor of Akers, maybe even more. Uh, This is going to be one of the biggest situations to watch because right now for me, Cam Akers is my RB26. You know, I would play him ahead of guys like Penny, like the Patriots running backs, even ahead of Damian Pierce, not ahead of guys like Cordero Patterson, David Montgomery, even Zeke. But guys, if we see like Cam Akers get that 80 or 90% snap roll that Sean McVay has handed out in the past, he's going to be someone that could be flirting with legit RB1 status in a hurry. 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell continues to be on track to return. Just keep an eye on that hamstring injury. Obviously not great for anybody to be dealing with that this time of the year. You know, you already heard the Jeff Wilson propaganda. Kenneth Walker with the hernia remains uncertain. It's Pete Carroll. You know, he could had 15 touches this week or we could not see him until 2023 anything seems possible Rashad Penny will get that big boost if Walker is out but guys even last year when Penny was absolutely balling out that wasn't an offense where Russ was playing much better at the end of the year and he still wasn't getting elite snap rates we still saw DJ Dallas and Travis Homer I'm afraid of what happens to Rashad Penny if the Seahawks fall behind so He's my RB27. I have him ahead of the Patriots running backs, ahead of, you know, Damian Pierce, Kareem Hunt, AJ Dillon, and some of these other guys. So a lot of leagues, yeah, go ahead and start Rashad Penny. Just realize, I don't think we're looking at like an RB1 or anything like it was last year when Kenneth Walker was out of the picture. And finally, Ty Montgomery. He's not a viable fantasy option, but if he is indeed going to miss time with this ankle injury, both. Not just from Andre Stevenson, both from Andre Stevenson and Damon Harris will get a nice boost. So I do have Stevenson one spot ahead of Damon Harris because I think he has a slightly better chance of getting the targets. More than anything, though, really wouldn't be surprised if we see Harris and Stevenson, you know, one series you, next series you, and there's just not quite as much uh, inner substitution, you know, on a play-by-play basis. PFF projections have five running backs projecting to see at least 20 combined carries and targets in week one. Derrick Henry leading the way with 23 and a half against that soft Giants front seven. Dalvin Cook at 21 and a half. Najee Harris, 21.3. Christian McCaffrey, 20.8. And Jonathan Taylor, 20.1. Also had a handful of running backs between 17.5 and 20 touches. Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, DeAndre Swift, Ezekiel Elliott, and Austin Eckler. Still going to see plenty of touches. Looking at running backs and full PPR scoring that you might just want to get behind, PFF actually projects four different running backs to see at least four and a half targets per game in 2022. McCaffrey at six point freaking three. 
You notice how McCaffrey's the overall RB1 in week one? That's was kind of our thought process behind the whole season long thing. Najee Harris with five targets per game, Austin Eckler 4.6, Alvin Kamara 4.5, just missing the cut, Leonard Fournette 4.4, and DeAndre Swift 4.2. I like Swifty. You're starting him in every lineup. Same thing with Leonard Fournette. Swift does have a chance, guys. If the Lions are as good as everyone thinks they're going to be this year, it's everyone's favorite sleeper. If that's going to happen, DeAndre Swift isn't getting checkdowns coming from behind in the fourth quarter now. Those are now going to be handoffs, seemingly to probably Jamal Williams. So just keep that in mind. Hey, if they're good and they're scoring touchdowns, I imagine Swift's going to be a big part of that as well. I'm not fading the man by any stretch of the imagination. I do question exactly the disparity, I guess, between Swift and Jamal Williams. We talked about that a lot throughout the offseason. My bull call of the week. I think Antonio Gibson says F the haters turns in a top 12 performance against the Jaguars. If you have Antonio Gibson on the squad, this is the week to start him. He's facing a Jaguars defense, PFF's 28th ranked defensive line, 22nd ranked linebacker unit. I get it. Jonathan Williams could eat into some early down work, but I just really find a hard, I have a hard time believing Antonio Gibson in a game where Washington is favored. Might actually have a chance to play with the lead. I don't see how Gibson can't get between 15 and 20 combined carries and targets. So yeah, Jaden McKiss is going to be there, but let's see a healthy Antonio Gibson out there. We barely saw it at all last season. He still has that explosive ability. We briefly saw that long screen touchdown against the Bills. I think Antonio Gibson gets that higher range outcome. And again, if you're not starting him this week, home three point favorites against the Jaguars, are you going to do it, you know, in a road date against the Lions next week? Are you going to do it against the Eagles or the Cowboys in the next week? This is the time with Brian Robinson on the pup list to start Antonio Gibson with more confidence than you're going to have literally the rest of the season. My pissed off call of the week, something that I think is just going to infuriate fantasy managers around the industry. I think Joe Mixon will continue to come off the field and pass first situations. Last year, Mixon, 48 targets. He had over 300 total touches. You know, we're not completely freaking out about Mixon's workload here, but man, Piran and Chris Evans combined for that exact same total 48 targets. So I just think that we saw in the Super Bowl last year. Don't need to remind you, Bengals fans, but Piran was on the field for the most important snap of the game because they don't put Mixon out there in obvious pass-first situations. So it's the difference between Mixon being in that top three, four running back group and him being, you know, alongside guys like Nick Chubb, Javante Williams. You're starting him either way, but it's just, you know, it'd be a lot cooler if uh, Joe Mixon was getting a lot more targets. I'll just say that. So with all that said, though, quickly looking at some of the fantasy football rankings I have for these running backs. Again, you can find all of them on pff.com with the PFF app. Don't be afraid to subscribe to PFF Plus. It's truly a great day to be great, but just some higher level notes. I do think there's a tier drop off after the top 10 backs. So when you look at the top 10 here, McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, and Najee Harris. These are the one running back backfields where, okay, if there is a situation where we have someone else eating into it, it's on early downs and they're not impacting the password. So that's for guys like Kamara, for McCaffrey, for Eckler potentially. I just think everyone else, this is just so tough to compete with this volume. They're my easy top 10 backs. The ETN ranking, I have as my RB16, a little bit aggressive. It reflects my thoughts that James Robinson is not going to be fully ready to go in week one. It's great he's out there, you know, but just be careful. Like I see some people saying, oh, James Robinson is listed as first on the depth chart, even though there's a legit or written out right next to him in ETN. Uh, just really, guys, game one off the Achilles. If we're going to shit on Cam Akers every single time Marlon Mack gets cut and re-signed from a you know, practice squad, shouldn't that also apply to James Robinson as well? I don't know. Just saying. Mentioned before, but 
kind of ironic that the dead zone running backs that we kind of talked down upon for the last month or two, they all have pretty good matchups. I mean, Gibson, Jacobs, Sanders, and Mitchell, they're all recommended stars for me. You know, in Gibson, Sanders, and Mitchell's case, it's going to be a you know matchup where they're a solid favorite. And in terms of Jacobs, he is the lead back in a matchup that we could see, you know, produce some fireworks. I mean, my goodness, that Chargers uh, Raiders game from week, se- week 18 last season, excuse me. That'd be awesome to get a repeat of that. Mentioned Ezekiel Elliott, RB23. It just reflects the brutal matchup at hand. He will be back up in that upside RB2 mix next week. So people are going to freak out about Zeke after this week. They did it last year. You will not freak out because you're a scholar and you know that's a bad matchup and he'll be fine moving forward. Mentioned the Cam Akers upside if things turn around for him. Right now, he's my RB26. Rashad Penny, RB27, upside RB3. I'm prepared to boom him up there if he gets you know more snaps than we're expecting, but I just really wouldn't be surprised if even without Kenneth Walker, we see Penny with a snap rate in the 50 or 60% range because they just, they're going to take him off the field on pass downs. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. Blame the Seahawks. Uh, both Damon Harris and Ramondre Stevenson will get slight boosts if we can confirm Ty Montgomery is sidelined with that ankle injury. So recording this Wednesday morning, haven't gotten the practice reports yet. We'll be back Friday with an injury, you know, edition of the podcast to really go through this. So right now, assuming Ty Montgomery is in the picture, I have Ramondre Stevenson, RB28, Damon Harris, RB29. I'd probably be willing to bump both of them ahead of Zeke into that low-end RB2 range if Ty Montgomery is completely out of the picture. Mentioned Damian, Damian Pierce, RB30. I'm starting him ahead of Hunt, Dylan Gordon. He's basically like one of the, I have Devin Singletary cheaper. To me, Damian Pierce is just one of the lower end starting running backs out there because I still think they're going to use Burkhead, maybe Dari on passing downs. And it's a situation where he's still on a terrible offense. I don't think the offensive line is going to be good. Does anyone think the Texans is going to be good? No. Pretty much no one does. We're anticipating the offense to be terrible. So yeah, maybe Damian Pierce can really make the most out of 15 to 20 combined carries and targets. But if there was going to be an offense where it's really hard to make the most out of that, it sure looks like the Texans could be one of those. Kareem Hunt, AJ Dillon, Melvin Gordon, my RBs 31, 32, 33. Quality flex options. Obviously, they have that sky-high upside uh, if something happens. These could be uh, situations, though, between Chubb and Hunt, uh, Jones and Dillon, obviously Javante and Gordon. If these backfields go 50-50, more so than the kind of 60-40 splits I'm projecting here, uh, we could see you know the disparity between their ranks get a lot closer this time next week. I would try to avoid the Jets running backs for a week. We don't exactly know what the pecking order is going to be between Carter, between Hall. It's a really tough matchup against the Ravens. It's either Joe Flacco or an injured Zach Wilson under center. Most start sick questions I get about Michael Carter or Brees Hall. I'm probably just going to say the other guy. And finally, I would say, you know, let's see, after after Brees Hall and Michael Carter, I have Dobbins, Daryl Henderson, Naeem Hines, Mike Davis, Jamal Williams, J.D. McKissick, Raheem Moser, and then Kenneth Gamewell. Gamewell is probably where I'm drawing the line as like the last running back that I could throw in a flex in a 12-team league and, you know, full PPR and feel even somewhat okay about it. So that's even a stretch. I think there's a lot of wide receivers you should probably prioritize ahead of Gamewell, but that's kind of where I draw the line. So Khalil Herbert, James Cook, Zamir White, Dontrell Hill. Rashad White. These are guys I'm not interested in starting under pretty much any circumstances this week. I'm sure some of you in 20 team leagues or whatever can show me an instance where it makes sense, but in general, Kenneth Gamo is where I'm drawing the line in my ranks. So again, full article, full ranks, pff.com. Check out the PFF app, PFF Plus. Why not? So thank you guys for tuning in. We'll have wide receiver and tight end along the way. Some good matchup talk with Kevin Cole on Thursday. Injuries, 
breaking down Friday. And then guess what? We got some actual live football on Sunday and Thursday before. Truly a great day to be great. So I'm Ian Harditz. Thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.